I think the thing that we all have to understand as moms and as human beings is that you don't have all the time in the world and you don't have no time. You have something in between. And time blocking is really about taking an honest look at your schedule and identifying how much time do I actually have? And then helps you decide what you're going to do with the time that you have intentionally ahead of time before things start forcing themselves in to our schedule. Happy June, mamas. I cannot believe it is almost summer break. Next week, my first grader finishes school, and in a couple weeks, my preschooler will be done with her first year of preschool. I love this episode with Katie Wiseau because it really helps to put a framework around time blocking, boundaries, and setting structure to your personal and work life. As we move into summer, we tend to lose a lot of structure with the kids around. And so I think this topic is extremely important when framing how we want our summer to look like and even moving forward when they go back to school, how to say yes, how to say no, and how to really figure out what we want to do with our time. In this episode, Katie offers some great tangible tools, tips, and tricks on how to really structure and frame your time as a busy mom to avoid becoming overwhelmed and burnt out. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Katie Wusso. She's a business coach that helps creative entrepreneurs build profitable, service-based businesses so that they can make a living doing what they love. She's also the host of the Game Changer podcast and Mama of Two. Welcome, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely to have you. So to start off, I want to ask, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Oh, man. We actually... We're investigating some like learning issues with my younger daughter right now. She's nine. And my mom win was that I proactively took her to the pediatrician to discuss the assessments that she took at school. And we're like working on a plan for that. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah. I know it's always hard to get the, all the like various appointments in, but we got it in, we got it done and we're working on a plan. Awesome. Well, I know you're really good at plans and figuring that out, which we'll talk about today. But also to give the audience a little bit of context, paint a little picture of what your family structure looks like. What are the roles you and your partner play and the ages of your children? Yeah. So I am married to my husband, Travis. We've been married for 14 years and we have two daughters. They are almost 11 and nine. So they're 20 months apart. They're very close in age. And I am, my husband works in a very traditional setting, kind of more of a, you know, nine to five, nine to six kind of setup. 
and I am the flex parent. And so I know probably everybody on this call understands that terminology, but I am what we call in my family, like the shock absorber. When unusual things happen, I'm normally like the first person to respond, but I also I'm self-employed. I have my own business where I do business consulting and coaching for entrepreneurs and small business owners. And I more or less accomplish that in a nine to three schedule while the kids are in school. And then, you know, during all of the school breaks, I, I come up with, with various, with various different ways to kind of keep things moving forward while also enjoying the, the freedom and the flexibility that I've been able to create by having my own business. So I've had my own business for about five years now. And uh, it's been a really good setup for our family. So what did you do then in your pre-mom life? So before, so I know if you started your business about five years ago, your kids were like around four-ish. They weren't exactly in school yet. So let's step back even farther. What did you do in your pre-mom life to lead you to where you are right now? Yeah. So I started my career out of college uh, in a consulting firm. And so I did management consulting in kind of a traditional consulting setup where, you know, I had clients, I would occasionally travel to those clients. I worked full time and it was a great, I really actually enjoyed my work quite a bit. I, I liked the people that I worked with. I liked the environment. I liked the work I was doing. So it was really good for me. And then after about five years of doing that, my older, my oldest daughter was born and I, I knew that that structure probably wasn't going to be the best fit. So I ended up continuing doing that work just as a contractor for the next five years. So I would, I worked more on a project basis, more on a contract basis where it would be more like 10 or 20 hours a week, but doing the same work that I had been doing. So and I so, actually want to ask you on that. So I was a management yeah. consultant back in the day and I did the whole, like I fly out on a Monday, I come back on a Thursday, I eat out. My lifestyle was, it was fun, but it was definitely not the healthiest per se. But I'm curious, yeah. like coming from a management consulting world, it's a very not cutthroat, but you know, they expect certain hours, especially if you're billing by the hours. So to have kids in transition to kind of a part-time, how are you able to do that sort of contract work? How are you able to transition or quote, convince them? Because, you know, the last few years have been rough on moms. A lot of moms have exited the workforce and maybe looking to go back on maybe a part-time or consulting type basis. How did you do that? I did definitely have to make the case. I, I will say I wasn't in, I was in a, like a smaller niche firm. And so it wasn't quite as intense as maybe some of the bigger, like McKinsey or BCG or any, yeah. some of those environments. And I was only traveling probably 20% of the time. So it wasn't as, it wasn't like an 80% travel arrangement. So there were, it was already, the firm was already like a fairly good lifestyle, right? Even for somebody without kids, but I, I didn't want to do that lifestyle with kids, but I did have to make the case. And so I, I made the case. The first, the first selling point that I made to my old boss was I'm going to get certified as a woman-owned business enterprise, because we were doing a lot of government consulting. And a lot of times when you're working with governments, you like, they want to see minority and women-owned businesses on the contract. And so I said, Hey, I'm going to set my firm up. I'm going to be a woman-owned business. And that means that whenever you sell work that I'm involved with, you get to claim that that was the first selling point. And the other selling point was a market-based selling point where I, I knew what they were charging for me, like for my time. And I knew that I could make, if it, I knew what they were charging for my time as an employee. And I knew that if I was, I, if I, I could price my work as a contractor below that rate, but also make more money personally for my mm. own time, if that makes sense. So let's talk about that I a little. Able, I want to like, yeah. I want to hear more because I think pricing is such a big issue. Once you do kind of go out on your own and you're like, 
yeah, I'm a consultant. How much do I charge? So you knew how much was, they were charging. I did because I was, I wrote all those proposals. Like I did the financial models that we would put together to, to pitch the pricing to the client. I was very familiar with the economics of how the business worked. And so I knew at that time I was at that time I was 27 and I knew they were charging 125 per hour to the client, but I didn't need to make, I, if I was charging, if I was just taking all, that wasn't the amount of money I was taking home, right? That was right. accounting for the firm's profitability, the firm's overhead, all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I went in and I said, I'll, I'll charge you $75 an hour, which by the way, is more than I was making in my salary. So I said, I'll charge $75 an hour, which means you only have to charge the client $85 an hour for my time, which means you can go and undercut all of our competitors when you're pitching, when you're pitching work. So I was able to save the client money, which, which improved my boss's ability to sell, which was how he was compensated, right? He's compensated based on, based on sales. And if we can charge again, working with governments, governments are price sensitive. So he was like, if we can charge less for the work, everybody wins. And so I definitely had to make the case of like, how is this going to be good for the company Mm -hmm. and not just good, not just like, this is what I want to do, but like, how is this actually going to be strategic and advantageous for everybody and not just me being choosy. So did you make that transition? Like you went on maternity leave and then you worked for a while and then proposed this, or did you take a break? How did that look? Yeah, I actually, I wish, I think if I had gone back if I could go back and do it again, I probably would have handled it differently because I really just didn't have a really good vision and I didn't have a lot of models for what it would even look like to work with an infant. You know, this was 10, 11 years ago. Work was really different then than it is now. Oh yeah. I didn't and even so, have an iPhone when I was in consulting. I, like I had a Blackberry no, and I think about I that. I had a Blackberry and- too. Yeah. And just the way work is now, you would leave home and you wouldn't even know anything going on. Oh yeah. And, and like video chatting was like what they did at NASA. Yeah. Like the, the people didn't video chat unless you were, you know, in the white house situation, like the situation room, it was not, it was high tech. And so I, I ended up qu- just quitting my, my job completely. I just didn't really know. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know. I didn't have a plan. I didn't really have a sense of like, how could this even work? So I ended up resigning after my maternity leave was up after three months. And then six months later, I was sleeping. My daughter was sleeping. I sort of had my, my hands around being a mom a little bit better than I did. That's when I was like, I think I need to do something. I think I really want to do some work. I don't want to work full time, but like, I do have, I do have some time that I could commit to continuing to grow in my career, continuing to use my skills, continuing to make a little bit of money. And you enjoyed what you were doing. I did. I did enjoy what I was doing and I really enjoyed the people. And so that's when I, I went to my boss and I was like, Hey, like, do you want some of my time? (laughs) And he was like, yes, yes, I do. Nice. And so then from there, so technically you started your own company at that point. I did. I did. I was, I, that's not like the official business start date that I use when I'm talking about my origin story or whatnot, because at that point I was really just a freelancer, more of a freelancer than a business owner. But that's when I started my LLC was back in 2012. I mean, I did the the freelance stuff for five years. And then when we and moved had your to second DC, child during that, too. Had, had a second child in there, took, took about, I don't remember how long my maternity leave was, three or six months, something like that. But can, kind of was, I kept freelancing during that time. And then 
in that time too, when I was freelancing is when, because I was a contractor for my job, I had the flexibility to take on other projects and other work that I was interested in doing. And that's when I got my very first entrepreneur client. She was a friend of mine. She owned a catering business and she was just the kind of person that's like, she started a business because she was an amazing chef. She was learning the business stuff on the fly. And so she had a bunch of things that she really needed help with. She needed a sounding board. And that was my, she was my first entrepreneur client. And I worked with her on and off for different things for probably two years. And that was when the seed of my future business was really planted. It was like, what if I could have a business where I only worked with entrepreneurs because I really enjoyed. And specifically compared, creative entrepreneurs, sort of. Specifically like, creatives. Yeah. Exactly. Cause she was definitely a, a creative and compared to my government clients that I was working with in my more traditional consulting job. It was night and day in terms of the energy, in terms of like the vibe, in terms of the- it's a lot more the, colorful in the creative industry. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, and in just the personal, the personal nature and the personal impact of the work, when you can help somebody with their business, you affect every part of their life. Yeah. Because if a small business owner is experiencing pain and stress and struggle in their business, it affects everything. And so seeing that human aspect of the work was what really grabbed me. So then you started doing this, but you had two young kids. So what did that look like kind of behind the (laughs) scenes? How did you make that work? Because I feel like your story is, I mean, not similar. It it has some similarities to like my background. So I owned actually a wedding planning company for 10 years and then realized my expertise was really in business. And so I started, instead of just doing my weddings, I started helping other creatives. But it wasn't my passion. So that's why I have backed away from business strategy and doing stuff like this and talking to amazing moms is like way more in line with what I love. But I'm curious because when I started, you know, I only had one kid and then I had two and then I had three and then I just got overwhelmed. So you started it with young kids. What did that look like? How did you, you know, how did you manage your, your time behind the scenes? Yeah, it it was, there was a, probably a whole year where it felt like we're just doing this one month at a time. Like, what am I doing this month? When I started the business in the current form that it's in, I, uh, my older daughter was in kindergarten. So she did go to school during the day and that, but my younger daughter was four and she wasn't quite in school and we had just moved to DC. And so we didn't, we, we were like too late for the, for the preschool signups and all of that. So she was home with me. And so we just, I just made it work with a few different, like time blocking was big. Like I would wake up in the morning and kind of tell my daughter who was, she was four. She could, she could get, you know, things to an extent. I said, this is what we're going to do for the do today. We're I'm, I'm going to work for maybe an hour or two, and then we're going to go to the park and then we're going to go come back home and I'm going to do this. And you're going to kind of give her the, the overall structure of the day. So I did so you that didn't some have days. like childcare. You didn't have a nanny or anyone that was consistent. Probably I did after a couple, after like making it, cause we had just moved, we didn't know. Okay. Anybody. And so there were a couple of months there where I just did have to make it work. And I, I, I told myself, I was like, I'm in this crazy situation. We just moved, but we don't know anybody. We're still like trying to figure out unpacking and like 
figure, figuring out who our doctors are. There was a lot, there were a lot of personal things going on. And so I told myself, I am going to work for at least an hour every day on this business. And some days it was a one hour, one hour and one minute, you know, that I was able to devote to the business, but other days I was able to do more. And so I, I just kind of adopted a mindset of like, consistency is more important than intensity in this season. I'm going to be consistent. And then, you know, after we got a little bit more settled, I was able to find, there was another mom that I met through church who had a similar work set up where she was, she was part-time flexible self-employed and she had a, she had an infant actually. So we found a, a shared kind of nanny share situation. I think it was three days a week where the, the babysitter would watch Jane who was four and then her baby who was like one. And so that was how I kind of, and that's how I finished out that school year. And then the next school year, she did end up going to, to pre-K. So I had the kids more or less on the same schedule, but for, you know, it was definitely a, like, what are we doing in this season kind of thing? Like what, what is going to work for this season? And there were some seasons where I couldn't do as much and I just have to accept that. And I think some of the, you know, especially as women, we do kind of tend to be all or nothing sometimes. Like if I can't work on this six hours a day, then I'm not going to do anything. And I'm a type A person. I'm like a high achieving person. So that it's hard for me to not be able to do everything that I want to do. But I think that discipline of I'm going to do something every day. I may not be able to do everything, but I can do something to work towards these goals every single day. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to endure. I would, I would rather choose to be uncomfortable with the fact that I'm working too little than be uncomfortable with the fact that I'm not making any progress at all. I think that's just the mindset of accepting, like, these are my circumstances. I have one hour. So then I want to ask you, how did you then pick what you needed to work on in that time? And we'll talk a little bit about time blocking and stuff. But I think one of the big problems I see with both entrepreneurs and moms is that just like air, air expands the space that it allows. And so if you give yourself, you say, I'm going to work one hour a day. So you have that one hour. How did you figure out what I was going to work on that day? Because I feel like we always go to just like, let's put out the fires or let's, you know, or you ADD off and it's like, oh, my hour's gone by. How did you actually make sure you stayed on track every day and you were taking one step forward? I think that for me, what was really important in that season was I was, I knew exactly what was most important. And what was most important to me in the first six months of my business was making money. Like I, I had to start making an income because we need, like it was me making money was part of our budget. It wasn't like, Oh, this is what I want to do. And it's a fun, a fun project. And if I make money, that's a bonus. It was, we need money. We live in an expensive city. We have children, you know, my husband's working, but he worked for a nonprofit. So it wasn't, you know, wasn't really what we needed to, to pay our bills. And so I was focused, I, I focused all of my energy in those early days. I did not build a website. I did not do anything on social media. I did not, I didn't do content. I didn't do any of that stuff. All I did was networking period. I reached out to, I made a list of like maybe 50 to a hundred people that were in my personal professional network and reached out to people individually saying, this is what I'm doing. I'm starting a business. I want to work with entrepreneurs. Can you connect me with anybody that you know, that might need this kind of support? And I had a goal of, I started my business in January by April. I wanted to have made $8,000 for my coaching business. And, or, you know, I think at the time I was really more thinking about it as consulting versus coaching, 
and I was focused on only what I needed to do to get clients in the door. And so I was able to, I made $8,000 in the first three or four months of my business. And then once I had revenue coming in the door, that's when I could say like, okay, now let's get a website together because I kind of have a sense of how I'm working with clients and I have some clarity and I have some resources to devote to the website. And then I got the website up and then I was like, okay, it seems like there's a big opportunity on social media. Let me figure out how I can leverage social media to maybe get in front of, you know, I've been really successful networking and really successful with a relational approach to building a business. What if I could translate that to social media? And then I started doing social media and then it was like, okay, I have all of these ideas about how I can be of service to entrepreneurs. What if I put those ideas into a blog? And so I, then I sort of, I started layering in these other things. And I think the mistake a lot of people make when they're starting a business is they focus on that stuff first before they focus on actually serving clients and making money because you people think in order to really officially be a business, I have to have a website and I have to have a social media presence and I have to have content. And that's not true. You don't have to have any of that stuff to start serving clients. And I highly recommend an approach that allows you to start making money first. So then that you can have resources to devote to these other things. And it's not just money. Like one of my mentors always said, get on the field of play because you're never going to understand your client. You're never going to understand what you also personally like and dislike what your client's actual problems are. And you might realize like you went into this, you said like consulting and now you switch to coaching. What do these people actually need and how can I serve them? And you might've been selling something completely different. But I also wanted to parallel that. I love how you said you just started to network. So you moved to DC, you knew no one. How did you find mom friends? Well, we're, we are really, you know, active in our church. So that was like kind of stop number one where I made mom friends. And then I, in terms of, of, of mom friends that may also have like the same kind of career interests as me, I went to every event I could find. And I actually met people that I'm friends with still today at networking events, not because, you know, and and the reason I was able to do that is because I followed up with people after the people that I connected with people that I resonated with, I would follow up with them, not not necessarily fishing for work though. I did get some work that way, but it was just like, Hey, you want to get coffee and like get to know each other. That was really besides my personal, the personal venues where I was involved, you know, the school, mm-hmm. the neighborhood that we live in our church, it was really just networking, putting myself in situations where I could interact with people. I also joined Hey Mama. This was a few years then. I think you're also part of yes. Hey Mama. That's the second. This way is how we, we met. met. Yeah, <laughs> the second, exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Cause I actually, I met you initially at alt summit yes. 150 years ago. It feels like I know because and then you were presenting, which is next week, which like, so yeah, we met at so many different ways. Again, the, the world yes. is small, but Hey mama has been so awesome. I I've really enjoyed yeah. that. It didn't come in until later. I think I joined, I think I joined Hey mama in December of 2018. So this okay. was, you know, full I think two I years after I started time. my business. Yeah. Yeah, they started the those DC communities. Chapter. I mean, that mm-hmm. like applies to anything. Find those communities in which you resonate with the other, you know, other moms, other business people, whatever that is. Like if you're in a running club, you know, like find those people who you can have some common interest with. Absolutely. 
I love that. Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you is really time blocking. Um, it's something that I've always been passionate about because ever since I learned about like context switching and how, you know, your brain can't switch from one thing to the next. And so really having those structures in place, I think a lot of problems with moms is that, you know, we always make excuses. We always say we're busy. We have so many things going on. Our schedule's always all over the place, even though it probably isn't. I will be the first to say I am terrible at time management. My husband always says, like, you never allow enough time for, you know, what you say you need to do. Or when I have time, I don't know where it goes. It's like, oh, I don't know. I think I just browsed Instagram for like 45 minutes or I'm not really sure. I think I was like filing my nail or, you know, you just don't know. So let's talk about time blocking and sort of your structure model around it and how we as moms can apply that to our lives. Because we don't necessarily need to just time block for our business, but we have these aspirations. You know, it's like, oh, I want to go to the gym or I want to do this. Oh, but I just don't have the time. My schedule's so busy. So how can we find these buckets of time and utilize them in a way that we can stay accountable to it? Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head when I think that moms in particular, other people too, probably, but moms in particular, they we have the sense of like, I don't feel like I have any time because I always am busy, but also when I do have time, I don't feel like I use it well. And I think that's what a lot of people- you don't know what to do in it that time. You're you just don't like, know what yeah. to do. You don't yeah. have a, you don't have like a, a cue of like, this is what I'm going to do when I, when I have some extra time. And I think that it goes to, we, I think the way that we think about time is it tends to be really flawed because we either think about t- our time in the sense that we have no time. Like there's no time I am fully booked. And then we put ourselves in a place where we just say no to everything because we're like, I have no time. No, the answer is no. Or we think we have all the time in the world, right? I have all the time in the world. So we say yes to everything. Everything is a yes. And I think the the biggest way that I see this happening with moms is particularly with school-aged kids. It's when it's, when it's back to school time. Like when it's back to school time, you feel like I am swimming in time. Like I'm absolutely swimming in time. I'm so free. I'm so available. And so I'm going to do everything. And then you fill up your calendar unintentionally with a bunch of stuff. And then you're right back into the place where you have no time again. And so I think the thing that we all have to understand as moms and as human beings is that you don't have all the time in the world and you don't have no time. You have something in between. And time blocking is really about taking an honest look at your schedule and identifying how much time do I actually have? Because we all have pre-existing commitments of various kinds. Maybe it's a full-time job. Maybe it's a part-time job. Maybe it's certain volunteer commitments. It's, you know, things with the family, things with the kids. We all have certain things that are a given in our schedule. Some of us have more givens than others, but we all have things that are a given and we all have time outside of that. And so time blocking is really about looking at your schedule, looking at your life, looking at your calendar and creating a structure that defines how much time you have, and then helps you decide what you're going to do with the time that you have intentionally ahead of time before things start forcing themselves in to our schedule. Do you have a theme days or anything like that? I used to do that and I've gotten really lazy over the years, especially after having three kids and the pandemic, it all went out the door, but I'm curious, do you do anything like a theme day? Like Mondays are for catching up on things. For me, Thursdays right now are my podcast recording days. So I block that off for my in-office podcasting days. But then other days I'm like, I think I'm gonna do kids activities. I think I'm gonna go to a grocery store. Like I don't really have a structure. How do you kind of structure your, I think that's, I think that 
it is a misconception that time blocking has to mean it's a misconception that it has to mean every week looks the same. It doesn't. And it's also a misconception that time blocking has to mean theme days that I do content on Mondays and I do client work on Tuesdays and I do podcast. Like it doesn't have to look like that. And I think that's why a lot of people specifically entrepreneurs, they shy away from the entire concept of time blocking because they feel like I started my business because I want to be a little bit spontaneous and a little bit flexible with how I use my time. And if I have to commit to this rigid structure, then I, I don't want to do that. That that feels like what I left my traditional job for is because I didn't like doing certain things on certain days. So it doesn't have to mean that. And that's not how I operate either. I mean, generally speaking, my framework for my work time, which is separate from personal time, but for my work time, it's, I do podcast stuff on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays are when I can have meetings. So meetings include client meetings and and sales calls. And then Wednesdays are my, is a no meeting day where I just kind of get to do it's flex time for me. That's when I try to have doctor's appointments. That's when I try to meet up with a friend for lunch. That's I will almost always work on Wednesdays, but if I have non-work stuff that I want to do or personal stuff that I want to do, I just want to take it take a moment, take a chill day, then it's Wednesday. So that's my time blocking is it's not super complicated and it's not very themed out. And I'm not booked up with client calls every single day on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I have lots of project time in there that I can get stuff done for my own business. So there's a ton of flexibility, even within the basic structure, but having the basic structure of like, I don't have meetings on Mondays or Wednesdays. And then I have client meetings on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays helps me to make a lot of decisions that I need to make about what I can commit to and what I can't. Because if somebody asks me to do something on a, on a Thursday, I'm kind of like, I can't do that on a Thursday. But do you then I'm, also schedule personal time for yourself? Anything like scheduling time to work out or do you yeah. put those also in your calendar? Good question. So a couple of things. I don't recommend putting your time blocks on your calendar. Oh, right. Okay. I don't re- necessarily, and, and you can, if you want to, it's not like a rule, but I don't necessarily recommend. I don't, I only put on my calendar things that are actually appointments, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm going to the gym, that's an appointment. So I'll put that on my calendar, but I don't have these like blocks of time on my calendar that are like, this is the block where I'm doing client work. And this is the block because the point of time blocking is not to clutter up your calendar with a bunch of stuff. The point is to know when can I commit to doing stuff, right? And so normally when I have people do a time block schedule, it'll just be like maybe a hand drawn or, you know, an Excel spreadsheet where they kind of kind of create some zones for themselves of this is when I'm doing what. Um, And that's the framework or the structure that they use to guide what actually goes onto the actual calendar. I like that that word zone because it's more of just creating boundaries. You're just kind of creating boundaries instead of creating rigid schedules. And I think we think a lot about this as like, we don't have time because we look at our schedule and we get overwhelmed by the color coordinated, you know, calendar appointments we have. 
So how do you then drop in like kid activities? Because this is where I start to get all over the place. It's like, you know, my son has karate, he has soccer, he has this, and my daughter Mm -hmm. has dance. And then the third one's now starting gymnastics. And it's like, all of a sudden, my schedule is out of whack. Do you look at it and you say, well, if we can't find, you know, kid activities on these days, or like, how do you manage kid activities within your work schedule? Yeah, yeah. So I think kind of step one to time blocking is especially if you're an entrepreneur and you have control of your schedule is you absolutely have to determine real office hours. I am a very big proponent of like decide what your office hours are. When am I working and when am I not working? And here's the reason why is that when you don't determine office hours, you end up spending more hours of your day worried about working than you spend actually working. I worked with a client. I have a client, a former client who is, she's self-employed entrepreneur. She has three kids. She has all of these volunteer things that she does outside of work. And we were working together because she was like totally teetering on the edge of burnout. She was exhausted. She didn't enjoy her business anymore. And so one of the things we we took, one of the first things we looked at is like, okay, tell me about your day. Tell me about your actual day. And what her actual day looked like was basically between 8.30 and 5.30, she would ping pong back and forth between mom stuff and work stuff back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all day long, like make dinner, do emails. And and we're all familiar with this life of like ping ponging between work and family. But when we broke it down, we realized she was only working, actually sitting down and doing work probably four hours a day, but she was spending eight hours a day stressing about work. And so what we did for her is we said, okay, we're going to do some office hours here and your office hours, you're going to have four hours a day of, of work of office hours. And we're going to put, we, I think we're, for her, we ended up putting one block in the morning and one block in the afternoon. That was her work time because that's how she wanted to do it. Right. That's, that was going to work well for her rhythm. And so what that meant was she got to say for the rest of the day, like I get to focus on what I'm doing right now. I don't have to worry about what I'm not doing. I get to focus on what I am doing. And so having defined office hours is very, very important so that you can feel permission to not be working when you're not working, right? And so circling back to the kid activities, the kid activity question, right? We, when we're setting our office hours, we have to account for Kid activities are one of those givens that you know, we don't necessarily get to decide when, when soccer practices, we don't necessarily get to decide, well, you know, when we need a carpool to the track meet or whatever. So we need to factor in, if you have to go pick up your kid at four and take them, take them to soccer, guess what? Your office hours are until three forty-five, And maybe you can also do a work block. Like you can pull your laptop out at the soccer field if you feel like doing it, but it's not, it's not part of the structure right? It's extra. It's, you know, sometimes I pull my laptop out at night because I want to, you know, do a quick social media post or because I want to do some, some emails real real quick, because that's what I want to do. But it's not because I am expecting myself to do that. It's because it's not on my time blocking. It's just, I feel like doing that in that moment. That's so true. It's a bonus. It's like, oh, I had bonus time. It was, it's almost an extra versus these are my designated times. And I think what happens is though, like say that woman, she had four hours of time. We also set expectations for ourselves where we can accomplish all these things in four hours and we can't. And so how do we start to think about 
what is a realistic time? Like, how do you, so now she has four hours a day, but she has this laundry list of things that she wants to accomplish. How can we structure that? Yeah. I think that this is a really common problem. I, I, it's a common complaint that I hear that people don't, I'm really bad at, I'm really bad at predicting how long, how long things are going to take. And the reason you're not very good at predicting how long things are going to take is because is that you're not accustomed to seeing your time as finite. Like, I think that what, how we operate most of the time is in this very optimistic frame of mind. Like I work really hard and I work fast and I can knock this out really quick. And I have all the time in the world and you don't. And so the first step to getting good at predicting how long things are going to take is actually viewing your time as the finite resource that it is, you know, Gretchen Rubin in her book, better than before, she talks about the concept of viewing our time. Like we, what, like we think about space. And I like to think about space in the closet because I think it resonates with a lot of moms. Like if your closet is totally over overflowing with your clothes and your shoes and your accessories and your stuff, and you come home with five bags of stuff from target, you don't get to just throw all that stuff in the closet. You have to pull things out and say, do I really need this? right? We have to view our time in the same way where we see it as like, I do not have all the time in the world and it takes some practice, right? It takes some practice. And and when I was working with that one particular client, that was the next thing we had to talk about is like, okay, what are you putting on your to-do list? And is what you're putting on your to-do list really realistic given the constraints of your schedule? And what of the things that you are wanting to work on are we going to need to maybe schedule for another time? On that note, I think you also had mentioned once is actually tracking the time that you're doing currently. So, and I'm just thinking about how, like I always say, oh, I'm just going to run into Target really fast. (laughs) Like thinking it takes 30 minutes maximum. And then all of a sudden, two hours later, I'm like, oh my God, it's pickup. But like, I mean, Target is sad, but even work stuff like, oh, I'm going to answer, you know, it only takes me a couple minutes to answer emails, but like actually really tracking how long it takes you to do tasks in a week. I like that because I've never done that before to actually see the data. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, it, it can be really useful especially if you've never done it before. And I think one of the things I take for granted coming into entrepreneurship is I was a consultant and I had a timesheet. And so I had to get pretty good at predicting how long I was going to take to do stuff because it was factored into everything that we did in the business. So I brought that skill in. And if you've never done that before, it, I think it's really useful to see how am I actually spending my time? And some of those things are things that you can't change. Like you can't change how long it takes you to drive to your kid's school. You can't change how long it takes you to make dinner and clean up dinner and do that. You can't change something, but there's a lot of stuff you have control over and say, like, if I'm spending an hour a day creating content and posting on social media, but that's maybe not the most strategic way for me to be using five hours of my week. How can I shift that and maybe shift that time into some more strategic things so that I can, I can. I can fit my most essential activities into this time that I have. And so that I can enjoy a lot of, you know, uh, enjoyable things outside of work. On that note, what are some of the things that you do for yourself daily? That's just for you. Like it could be anything wellness related or what is something that you do for you? Yeah. So I, when my kid, when my daughter was maybe one, my oldest daughter, I discovered that it really, really works well for me to get up early 
before mm, what time before the kids. So I get up at five 45, which is not like it's early, but it's not like, I'm not like one of these crazy four 30 in the morning people, like five 45. It's very doable. You mean like Robin Sharma's like 5am club. I can barely get up at six 30. So yeah, yes. <laughs> I just, it doesn't work well for my body. I can't go to bed early enough to consistently get my, my kids are older, like go to bed at nine. I'm not going to go to bed at nine with my kids. Right. And so yes, 545 is what works well for me. I think this is a very personal question, but I get up before my kids and I drink my coffee in silence and I, you know, have a spiritual practice that I do in the morning where I pray and I read my Bible and like have time with God. And that's my time. And then my daughter gets up at six, six 30 and I get, get her off to school. And then my other daughter gets up at seven 30 and get her off to school because they're at separate schools now. And then I do, I, I am a, I am an exerciser. I like to work out. I actually don't like to work out, but I like kind of the overall impact of working out on my life and on my mental health. And so I do that. I aim for three days a week. Those are the things I do for myself. I also, I'm a huge fan of like downtime. I, I yeah. don't work at night. I am not a burn the, burn the midnight oil, oil person. So like after dinner's over and after we're kind of done with our evening routine, I chill. Like I watch TV, I read, I chat with my husband. I'll go meet up with a friend. I, I really see that evening time as, as definitely time with the family, but there's also a lot of freedom there for me to just do things that I enjoy. So that's what way, I do. I love that you start your morning with a spiritual practice because I think having a spiritual practice as also like the kickstart of your day is a really grounding thing. And I think a lot of us tend to put aside our spiritual practices, but it's really something that is actually at the core of, I feel like mom's sanity and a spiritual oh, could be anything, whether or not you're religious, whether or not it's a meditation, whether or not it's just going outside in nature, something to ground yourself in the morning is beautiful. So to wrap things up, I wanted to ask, what do you think is your mom's superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at either business or life? Ooh, that's, that's interesting to think about, uh, how I've changed yeah. since becoming a mom. I think that that one thing that I tended to be pretty decent at before I had kids that was, I think, enhanced after I had kids, was just my ability to sort of read the subtext of a situation, right? Like kind of be in a meeting and be like, I can tell that person, like what we said just didn't land well with her. You know, intuitive mom tuition, I think is, you know, I think it was like a woman tuition before yeah. kids. And now there's something about having children where you are, you have to be really tuned in to other people, right? You have to be really yeah. tuned in to like, my kid's not eating really well. I wonder what's going on. Or she seems to be in a bad mood or like, maybe she didn't sleep well. Or is she feeling like you kind of have to read your kids because they're too little to know what they need. And that translates to other people and my friendships and my, my marriage and definitely my clients too. Like I, it matters to me that I can read how they are emotionally responding to a situation. So I think that that's definitely been enhanced. I mean, I think other people are awesome at it too. So I don't know if it's a superpower unique to me, but it's definitely an ability that I think has been strengthened by being a mom. No, it could be your superpower. And where can we find you online? <laughs> 
I am on Instagram at Katie Wuso, which is my first name, last name. And then my podcast is called The Game Changer. It's a business strategy podcast for creative entrepreneurs. So if you're building a service-based business, it would be a great place to, to go and get some, some good resources. And then you can sign up for my email list at katiewuso.com. There's a sign up right there on the homepage. And she also has the most beautiful website that I am obsessed with. <laughs> All of your ah, colors you. and everything. It's so beautiful. So thank you I did so much. Of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You have a great vision for your brand. So thank thank you you. so much, Katie, for joining today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.